Okay, so here we are again with our next part in our series, which is a commentary on Glimpses of a Golden Childhood by Osho. And in this chapter, in this part, I just thought we would talk about Osho's speaking. And probably the most pronounced thing about Osho is his speaking. The way he talks, the effect his words have is the most profound thing about him, is the most striking thing about him. And to share a little bit of the background, when Osho was a kid, he would tell stories to the other kids. And instead of getting a bedtime story from his parents or his nanny, he would tell her a story. And not only that, but he actually helped to explain the story, helped to illustrate the reasoning behind it. And that, he said, was his way of learning how to take people deeper into stories, into the significance of things, and not just the surface-level meanings. And throughout Osho's childhood, he had many occasions where he would get up to speak and really have something truly profound to say. And this would be in public speaking competitions, this would be in debate competitions, this would be at school, at events. He really had something to say. And he says that every time he spoke, it was spontaneous. It was from the heart. It was from his own direct, immediate experience. And that meant, well, he wasn't preparing a speech and reciting it. He wasn't thinking up ideas and then presenting them. He was actually going directly from his own immediate experience. And many adults in his life realized that this kid has something truly remarkable to say. He has a message. And if you hear him speak, it really does grab you. It really does speak to a different part of you. And you do have to have a certain amount of awareness at first, right? <laughs> like, I find a lot of the YouTube videos of Osho to be a little bit short, right? They don't really get you into it to give you a good idea of it. You really need like a whole series or something. So that's not really enough to go off. And another way to think about it is like this. If you listen to someone talk and they're sort of working on the level of the mind, then eventually you'll think like them. If they're going along and it's mind level, then you'll cognize it, you'll understand their reasoning, you'll understand their scripts, their dialogue, and you'll be thinking like them and you'll be having their voice in your head and you'll understand them. 
And that can propel into many aspects of life. Nothing wrong with that. The level of the mind is very powerful. But that's just one level. Then, further still, say you have someone who's speaking from the heart, or they're speaking with emotion, and that is able to connect with you. Then that will mean you will start to feel what they feel. You'll become empathetic. You'll empathize with their cause, their idea, their concept, their story. And that's a totally different thing to understanding it intellectually, right? The intellect and the heart are two very different centers in our experience. And Osho was doing something further still. He was going from some other higher consciousness. And you can sense this. You can sense something else happening if you really follow him along. Now, there are stories of people who would listen to Osho and get up at the end of the lecture and, and almost fall over, right? Because they're stoned from this higher stuff, right? This higher consciousness processing or merry-go-round, right? <laughs> and I remember talking to a friend once about Osho's speech and he said, well, when Osho speaks in Hindi, he's about 10 levels higher than when he speaks in English. And I was, and I was just like gobsmacked because I was like, but, but his English is just like astronomical, right? He speaks on a university professor degree to some, de to some estimation. I mean, he's far beyond that, but it's just like in terms of the linguistics and the vocabulary, it's, it, it's high level stuff, right? Even with his English. So for my friend to say he's even higher with his Hindi, it's just like, oh. And then he told me the story of someone who, or, or uh, a lecture that Osho was giving in Hindi, and there was the white guy sitting in the audience next to the brown guy, the brownie, the Indian guy. And the white guy didn't understand Hindi, but he was listening to Osho and he was actually going into a samadhi state, right? Listening to him in this other <laughs> dimension sort of thing. And then the, the Indian guy, the brownie, he was getting confused. And that was because Osho was taking him on a ride. He was doing a philosophical trick, right? He was actually spinning him in circles on purpose to try and play with him in a sense. And he did do those sorts of things, right? He had techniques to have all sorts of effects in his audience. So it was very funny that in Hindi, the white guy could actually listen along and get the state and, and almost understand that high level without cognizing any of it. And yet the brownie guy was <laughs> confused and sort of in this philosophical circle. And particularly with the earlier lectures of Osho, you sense an incredible immediacy, an incredible weight behind his words. It's just like he's soaking with meaning and significance and insight and wisdom and just like the heaviest truths are just laid on you. And he really doesn't hold back, right? He really gives it everything he's got. And 
it must have been frustrating for him in many ways because he's so far beyond everyone else that it's just like, I mean, how are you going to get through to people, right? And that's sort of one of the, the questions you got to ask. Like, how did he actually get through to people? And he has all sorts of stories and illustrations and parables and things like that to help him with his techniques. And another thing to note is that he actually had a sort of training or a background in hypnotism. So he he does actually use hypnotic techniques to draw you in. So, for example, some of those would be the timing of the words and the changing of pitch over a course of a lecture, right? Or or, uh, the arc of a discourse can happen and all the rest of it, right? There's a lot to hypnotism, but that's just something that sort of plays into his style. And he does speak slow. He does speak with large gaps between his words, which for some people is off-putting and it takes a little bit of getting used to, but that's just part of his style. And if you can get on board with it, if you can get on that train, then he really takes you to some incredible places. And even just the breadth of his knowledge is staggering, right? He goes from history Western psychology, Western philosophy, Eastern mysticism, ancient history, Western history, you know, psychoanalysis and sciences and the humanities and English literature and personalities and all like it's just it's just staggering how much he has read, how well read he is. So Even that alone makes it worth him listening to. And then later on, he did work his discourses into a kind of meditative process. And it's sort of quite clever how he did this because he did it it by levels, which was the evening meeting is dancing with loud music with stop exercises. So the music would play. And you'd dance, and then it would stop, and you'd stop, and there'd be silence. And then you'd dance again, and then it would stop. And you do that a couple of times, and then you would sit down, and then you would listen to soft music, the traditional Indian classical music, and that would play for a bit, and you'd listen, and then it would stop, and then you'd be in silence. And then it would play again, and then it would stop, and then you'd be in silence. And then you'd have the drum beat, <laughs> right? This would be one of those things which would be catching you unawares if you're not paying attention. I remember <laughs> I remember so many times sitting in evening meeting and just like do 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 thinking about things. Today has been fun and I'm going to do things tomorrow and I like thinking and then all of a sudden boom and it's like holy mother of mary. It just scared the like I would, I would jump out of my meditation stool and be like, "Oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be meditating. <laughs> I'm supposed to be listening to the silence." And then, of course, he would speak, and that would be listening. And then he would stop with the silences in between, and that would be like another stop exercise. So that whole thing of his speech 
being set up to be a meditative process was very much an important staple to his work. And another thing he says in Glimpses of a Golden Childhood is that he's always commanded silence when he spoke. He could never speak while someone else was speaking or something else was going along in the same room or in the environment. And you get that, right? You get that this whole evening meeting process is really very much a focusing in, okay, we're all here, we're all focused, we're all putting every assumption out of our minds, and we're putting our full attention on listening to these words, right? This this focusing of attention, this focusing of awareness on what's being said really helps to build up the significance. And you know, that would feed into Osho as well. So that's all part of it. One of the ways Osho talks about this is he says that nourishment is coming from attention or you get nourishment from attention. So it's important for people to listen to people. And it was also that he wouldn't always speak per se. It was that he would sometimes just sit and be in silence, right? That's also a very important part of the evening meeting meditation and also his work in general is just sitting in silence with people and not needing to say something. So that's very much an important part of it. And you could ask, well, how did Osho get such a big audience? I mean, did he just do talks at his school talent show and that was enough for him to get a momentum. And in a sense, yes. I mean, he was so notorious as a child that he was getting a momentum. And we are going to talk about one of the gurus that helped him with exposure to getting his following and to getting his chops up as a guru. But really, he did also go out and cook the words, as it says, as it, or at least is one way of putting it, right? Because one little anecdotal story about this is that he says, okay, God doesn't exist. And it's like, okay, well, that's a heavy truth, but no one wants to hear that. So he says, that's raw truth. So what he did, instead of giving raw truth, is he gave cooked truth. And so what he would say is, God doesn't exist as a person God is an essence, which is a cooked truth. And (laughs) that's just one little sort of throwaway example of how he explained this thing of giving a deep truth that people aren't ready for, being ahead of his time. And he really was ahead of his time in so many ways. And there was a particular speech that Osho gave which really just was his breakthrough. And that was something that would be later published. That was a speech that would be later published as a little book called From Sex to Superconsciousness. So I have that here now. And this book, it's very small, very short, was just a couple of speeches that he gave at a conference on love. He was asked to speak about love and he actually said, well, 
we need to deal with sex. And this is something we need to work with before we talk about love. And many of the organizers, I think pretty much all of the organizers in that (laughs) festival or on that panel didn't speak to Osho afterwards. They sort of ran away and they were so shocked that he spoke about love. And in so many ways, Osho was seen at first as the sex guru, right? They associated sex with his teachings. And it's sort of weird because he doesn't really actually talk about sex that much. Out of the whole, you know, 300-something books that he's got, he only really talks about it in this one little thing, which is you know, one of the shortest books that he's, that he's done. And it's telling that that's the thing that caught on about him, right? What does that say about our culture and our society? But it's also a little bit annoying because, well, there is so much more to consciousness than just sex. There is so much more to relationships than just sex. So when Osho gave this talk and then published the speeches as a pamphlet, that was him becoming as big as a rock star in India. He really just catapulted straight into the main mainframe. And that was when he was sort of set in as a guru. And there is also a whole side to the story, which was, well, what was it like for him to be a guru? How did he deal with the guru image and the guru culture? And he did actually go through that and play that game for a while and then renounce it and then go against it. And that's a whole nother story which happened to him later in life. So what I thought I would do is just read a little bit from this book, From Sex to Superconsciousness, so you can have an idea of how explosive his words are and his speeches. So this is from page 122 in the book From Sex to Superconsciousness. It is possible... If a husband and wife put a bit of effort into understanding sex together, they can become friends and can be helpful companions to each other in the transformation of sex. And the day a husband and wife succeed in transforming sex, a feeling of overwhelming gratitude is born between them. Never before that. Before that, There is nothing but a subtle and inborn anger and animosity towards each other. Before that, there is a constant tussle, not a sincere friendship. A friendship begins the day they become a companion and a medium to each other in transforming their sex energies. That is when a feeling of gratitude for each other arises in them. That day, the man is filled with respect for the woman because he has helped, she has helped him become free from sexual lust. That day, the woman is filled with gratitude towards the man for, helping, for being helpful in freeing her from sexual passion. 
From that day on, they live in their true friendship of love, not that of sexuality. This is the beginning of their life's voyage in the direction where the husband becomes a god for his wife, and the wife becomes a goddess for her husband. But that possibility has been poisoned at the source. This is why yesterday I said that it is difficult to find a greater enemy of sex than I am. But the enmity does not mean to imply I call names or condone sex, condemn sex. My enmity means to imply that I indicate I indicate to you the direction for transformation of sex and how to transcend it. I am an enemy of sex in the sense that I favor the transformation of coal into diamonds. I wish to transform sex. How can this be done? What is the method? I said to you that another door must be opened, a new door. End quote. So, in conservative India, <laughs> which is shrouded in dogmatic religion and morality, you can understand why that's so shocking to hear and also why, really, it's quite a deep truth quite a powerful truth, what, quite an honest and confronting thing to realize about sexuality. I mean, I mean, sex is one of those things that is just explosive because of the taboos, because of the hang-ups, because of the resentment, because of how over-the-top it has become in our society and also how repressed, right, these days, it's almost like we've got two messages. It's like advertising and products and power is all about sex. And we're bombarded with images of sex and examples of sex. And then on the other side, it's like, well, don't be abusive. It's all repressed. It's all pushed down. It's all don't say that. It's all keep it behind closed doors, right? So it becomes even more polarizing, even more difficult to navigate the world of sex but at least that gives you a little bit of an idea of how much of a rascal Osho was with his speaking and I really do suggest that you should go out and listen to some Osho lectures right you really have to you really have to figure it out for yourself like like everything we've said here on this series, like none of this counts towards your understanding of Osho. None of it. You cannot say you understand a single thing about Osho if this series is the only thing you've heard. Really, this series is for people who already have listened to Osho and they just want some light entertainment discussion because they like talking about such things. And that's my approach, right? That's my feeling, right? This is all secondary to the actual understanding of wisdom. So go out and, and listen to a whole series. If you can, get a whole series. And if you can't get the audio talk of it, then buy a book, right? You know, buy one of these little books, either 
from sex to super consciousness or glimpses of a golden childhood or or any other book right any book will do and just get a sense of it what is he on about what is his message what is he trying to say and really learn it for yourself really learn it from the person who's trying to teach it right all secondhand commentary is is just a sort of supplement right it's just a little tinkle dabble it's not going to be anything that you can base your right it's not the main meal you have to have the real foundation of the real stuff go to the source of it go to the source of knowledge that's very important so i've listened to thousands and thousands of osho lectures i've had my brain completely fried before in so many ways i mean there there was a time when i was just listening for hours on end all day and it would just open up so much like it just destroys all ideas it destroys what i thought about myself it destroyed my sense of direction in life it it just like it's it's just dissolving and it's not dissolving in a destructive way it's dissolving in an opening to new life way it's just like because you might think well he's destroyed your sense of direction that's terrible dosta no on the contrary right because we have these things of oh this is what i want in life and we think oh that's good to be driven right <laughs> i have this desire to achieve something even though i'm going in completely the completely the wrong direction and it's going to bring me a whole lot of misery right that's not that's not good drive that's not motivation true motivation the only true motivation is knowing what you actually are that is the root of all motivation and actions behaviors ideas ambitions all of that is secondary to knowing what you are and by listening to heaps of osho lectures well <laughs> it definitely dissolves a lot of what you're not so that's my experience and i highly recommend it to anyone all right that's probably enough for this segment we are going to have some more segments there's a lot more to get through so make sure you subscribe leave me a comment if you're listening to this greatly appreciate that and tune in to the next part of the series so thanks very much hope you're having a good day bye for now